Don't you wanna die happy with a smile on your face? Wake up a laughing, <laughs> cause you're free of all the things that would hold you from your ocean view. Life's a landscape, why don't you bathe in your way to start the podcast <laughs> yeah that's you. great <laughs> I think we should leave that in as well yeah definitely thank definitely brings us all here mm. present after all yeah. the technological issues <laughs> soma thank you so much for having us at your home today it's a pleasure to have you here both thank of you, you. We're so very, peaceful isn't it very grateful super peaceful should we explain where we are broadly for uh, for our listeners slash watchers so we're in the countryside Outside the town of Ubud, uh, which is kind of in the centre of Bali, for those of you that aren't familiar, but we're we're kind of on a, a valley side, is it safe to say? Is that a long valley that goes that way then? Yeah, it's a river that runs along here up um, further to the north. Mm. It's uh, one of the most sacred rivers of Bali, actually, Patano, Aman Patano. Nice. Well, one thing's for sure, it's a super. Tukad Patano, actually. What's tu- it called? Tukad Patano. Tukad. Well, it's mm. What does that mean? Tukad means river in Balinese, mm. and Patano is just the name of it. Okay. But it has a big legend to it that I don't know very well, but it's similar to the legend of um, the Ganga, actually, where a lot of people were killed and they asked and did penance for it all to be cleared and. Um, this wiped away all the sins and the people that were had been killed down here. So it's a, it's quite an interesting story. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's now incredibly peaceful. I don't know. You've been in Bali a long time, but I've heard many stories from people about spirits, uh, particularly around the waterways of Bali. And I've known we've had a few people tell us stories, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, who who live by the waterside in some places, having visitations from. I guess dead people. Have, have you had a, <laughs> have, you, have you had any interactions with any when you, within a? They're not really dead people. They're just people not in the body. <laughs> Their spirits are not in the body. They are body free. Um, yeah. Um, well, actually, on this river, I have had a few experiences. When I first moved here, there was a lot of mining going on on the side of the river because it has um, paras, which is a, one of the stones that they used to build here. And they were mining, you can see it over here on the side. Um, Super noisy, super annoying, super invasive for the river. And it did a lot of, it does a lot of damage to the river itself because a lot of silt goes into there and it it changes the waterway, the water course and things. And I had the spirit of the river come to me and ask for help. And she was crying. Mm -hmm. And um, so we've kind of worked to help at least move it away from where we are. And she actually came. We see this spirit a lot when we do ceremonies here. And she comes and she said, thank you. And uh, 
Yeah, Bali is full of spirits. I mean, everywhere it is, it's just Balinese. They they recognize them and they're taught to see them. So it's, they're more visible here, mm. a little bit more obvious than in other places. Yeah, you can definitely feel it. Yeah. Feel it in Bali. You can. I, well, I tend to think in, in a place as holy as Bali, where where people are so devoted to prayer and meditation, it makes perfect sense to me that the veil would be thinner for those people, right? Uh, and of course they're significantly more open to what some might say call paranormal some might call metaphysical mm. i guess a regular person would just say things that you that that some of us can't see or hear because uh, they're not on the traditional spectrum that doesn't mean that it's not there does it no and i think that they're taught from a very young age to see it and recognize it so it's part of their conditioning it's part of their education mm. where in the west or in countries we're not taught that we don't i mean a lot of people would question if it even exists so i think here there's no question for them that it exists and it's part of their daily life actually yeah and uh, um worshiping the ancestors those who came before us and uh yeah I think it's a really lovely connection to have because often you notice in the West, like children, they do see things, but from a very young age, they're told that they duck, they can't see it. It's so very so quickly, yeah. it's sort of, it's put to bed, isn't it? That's true. We, I, we talked about this on another episode of the podcast, but when I was a kid, I was astral traveling and seeing ghosts, speaking to ghosts, all sorts of, 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 of things. It was a, and it was a regular occurrence. Probably even into my 30s, I had a conversation with uh, uh, a, a former partner's dead auntie, which was quite surprising to my partner because we were in a we were in a beach shack <laughs> in Goa at the time, and the woman was Ita- Italian, so <laughs> didn't quite make sense geographically. But as I tried to explain, there's no time or space in the astral. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we are we we we're trained in the West to believe that we're nuts or we're making it up or mm. we're seeing things, aren't we? So it's it's one of the things we we do talk about it on the podcast quite a lot, and I think it's. Because we are over here talking to so many people who are significantly more open to su- to such things. So, anyway, that's not why we're here, is it? <laughs> well, well, I mean, part of it, maybe. Yeah, it's all connected yeah. somehow. <laughs> I'm sure we could work out some tenuous or less than tenuous link. But, uh, <laughs> So we're here to talk to you, Soma, today. I think about a number of things. So if I can explain briefly for our listeners slash viewers, we did uh, an incredible workshop last week, didn't we? Yes, it was last week. With your organizer, your company, Om Rudraksha. And uh, we made we made these mala beads for one another, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I'll sort of, we'll wave it over here at the camera in case you're watching <laughs> the video. But if not, you're just going to have to. I didn't make these last week, but um, they're still, <laughs> still, sporting still from some, our all sporting <laughs> some malas. beautiful malas. I always wear them. <laughs> so if you don't know what a mala is and you just listen to this in audio, then feel free to check it out. M A L A. But we're going to talk about malas today, and I, I, I suppose. Because you've got an incredible story coming here uh, before you even began the Mala journey. So I'd love to talk to you today about how you got to Bali, how you got into creating Malas, what's a Rudraksha, and, and also I'd love to talk about meditation because I think meditation and mantras are what bring this all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, hopefully we've, we've got some, some information and utilities mm-hmm. for our listeners wherever they are. So... Yeah, should we talk about you coming to Bali in the first place? I was thinking about that. We were talking about that in the car. You've been here 28 years? 
Is that right? 38 years. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> you must have seen all manner of change on this island. Yeah. Like crazy amount of change. Yeah, it's amazing because um, I just felt called here. Um, I saw, I was raised born-again Christian. And in the church there, they would have missionaries that were in different places of the world um, come and speak at the church. And so they showed a, um, a slideshow of this amazingly beautiful place. And I remember looking at the um, rice fields, and it was a slideshow of Bali in Indonesia, and there were some missionaries that were here. And I remember seeing this, and I was like, wow. One day I'm going to live there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice manifestation. And it just somehow, you know, then when I was a little bit older in my 20s, um, I did one of my first workshops. I've always been interested in more phys um, esoteric, metaphysical things. Um, having the background that I had, but I always questioned why. Like, there's more to it than what they were teaching me. And I kept like, mm -hmm. you mean all the Indians are going to hell? No, 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 I don't really. So that meant the Balinese, too, somehow, you know. But I didn't really realize that then. Then I was told that I had a past life in a place called Solo um, in Indonesia. And I'm like, I was like 19. And I was like, where is that? Anyway, long story short, um, I was living as, as a hippie and had two kids living off the grid yeah. and in the middle of nowhere. In which country? In the United States, in California. Yeah, yeah. And I just, all of a sudden, they were three and five years old, and I was like, oh, I have to buy the whole American dream, the two-car garage, and send my kids to public school, and get bank accounts, and all this kind of thing. And I was like, ooh, before we do that, let's travel around Southeast Asia. So we flew first into Bangkok and then traveled overland all the way into Indonesia. And we were on our way to Nepal. But when I got to Bali, for me, the minute I stepped off the plane was, I'm home. That was it. This is it. And wow. I did it. I mean, if someone would have told me then, I would still be living here 38 years later. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. I was like, well, I don't know about that. But, you know, it just happened. And I felt very at home here immediately. And Bali really embraced me, which I think is, Bali has that way, where it either embraces you or it kicks you out. You know, I watch it over and over and over. People either love it or hate it, you know, mm -hmm. or have had really bad experiences also. It's a quite black and white kind of country. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot of gray area here. Yeah, and it's interesting you use the word embrace. I, I often I often use the same word. Mm. And, and I don't know what it was like, well, I don't know what it's been like since you moved 38 years ago, but my limited experience, I've only been here since 2019, but, but I've seen many, many, many people, broken people, for want of a better word, come to Bali, gravitate toward the place. And I, and I don't think it's necessarily right I'm going to go I'm going to Bali because there's a healing center or there's yeah. this, that. They just gravitate. And I was yeah. one of those people. I gravitated. I'm a recovered addict and alcoholic, as I've told you prior. Um, and I gravitated and and did some mm. significant healing. The island just gave me a great big cuddle. But the island does call you, doesn't it? Because I'd, yeah. I'd been to Bali a couple of times and then I was kind of mid. I was, I've always been quite nomadic and I didn't really know where I wanted to go. And I was also... Um, recovering from a breakup and wanting to heal my heart 
And I kept getting the message, go to Bali. And I kept saying, I don't want to go to Bali. I've been mm -hmm. to Bali. Like it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I kept, I kept ignoring it. And then eventually it's like, okay, I get the message. So I, <laughs> I came back to Bali and, you know, I've now been here ever since. So. And we met here. This is where we met as well. Oh, wow. That's so, amazing. And not long yeah. after, was it? Like, you know, I came to Bali, I spent some time here and then we met in Ubud over mm -hmm. a coconut. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then we decided to stay. So she, she definitely calls you. She did. and Well, I suppose she called you, but then she didn't let you go either. Or at least the Balinese <laughs> government didn't because of the <laughs> lockdown. So, so you were kind of stuck here. And that's not why you chose to, to move in with me, though. But I love those stories of those people that got locked down here, came here for a short time, and then they got stuck here. And now yeah. they just is a home for it's them. Home. And it's Absolutely. quite amazing. Yeah. And, and interesting, and from our perspective, we, we just we moved in together incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and through a time where I know a lot of people in the West, for example, re their relationships really struggled during mm -hmm. lockdown for for obvious reasons. You know, it makes a lot of sense when you when you're trapped into a small trapped in a small space. But we thrived, mm -hmm. didn't we? Not yeah. to gloat, but I I think if there's a if there's a good test of whether a relationship works, it's it's <laughs> called the lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody Meant to be. <laughs> everybody can approve to that or attest. We were to very that. lucky to be locked down in Bali. We were locked down so, in a in a yeah. quite a spacious villa on the beach. Yeah, so it wasn't that bad. Was, was I can't really draw comparisons to people in a in a small apartment in New York or London or Copenhagen or whatever. Okay, so thirty eight years ago, you moved to Bali, and so how did you how did you happen upon the mala bead? Uh, the mala, well, the mala beads. I suppose they're called mala beads, aren't they? But, the, but particularly the Rudraksha. Well, I didn't start when I came here. I was actually, when I first came here, I started, well, I've always worked with beads all my life. So when I first came here, I started doing little things like with beads and made a bunch of clothes. The Balinese, I was always a craftsperson, and so always working with beads, working with leather, making bags, different things like this. So when I came here in the beginning, obviously I still felt that we have to go back to the West. So I started making collections of things to take back and sell. And when our visas ran out, um, we went back to the United States and our money ran out. We went back to the United States with two children. And within a week I sold everything, and I was like, mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot of really creative people on this island that can make things for me. I don't have to make it all by myself. And mm. so that's kind of how it started, but making beaded shoes, doing different things like this. And then in 1992, I had a very strong calling to India. And it was during a massage where I had uh, like a really awake, an awakening. And during the massage, the person said to me, he didn't say one word in an hour and a half, but at one point in the massage, every cell in my being woke up. And it was like everything became super clear, and it was like being given all this information. And he said, this is who you really are. And then he went on massaging me at the end. I'm like... Excuse me, but what was that? <laughs> that was body, this that was, was body work on, uh, on speed. On steroids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, he said, well, I've just been with this teacher in India named Papaji, and I recognize that you're seeing your true self in this moment. Wow. And I had heard of him, 
But I never wanted a guru in my life. I actually ran away from it. I was around a lot of people with different gurus and different things, and I was like, no, 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 I don't want that in my life. Mm. And this one just, I was like, I got to go. So a week later, I was on a plane to India. and uh, an ashram, huh? It wasn't an ashram. He didn't have an ashram. He didn't want one because he always felt once there's an ashram, there's always corruption. Mm, okay. And so he, his was had no money. There was no fees. There was no business, nothing like this whatsoever. So I went. I'll keep telling my story. Yeah, because yeah. This is in the really of it. So, so I went there. I stayed four days and just knew my life was never going to be the same. And then I went back because I have children and husband. And I had three children by this point. And... I went back, and the minute my husband looked at me, too, he was just like, what happened to you? Who are you? And Exactly. And many other people, I had other friends coming in, they were just like, oh, wow, we have to go. So then I would go on and off as much as possible, take my kids, without my kids. My husband went. We all had very profound experiences and immediately... Um, recognized him and same it was just this instantaneous there was no questions on my part no doubts no nothing the minute I met him I knew this man is like no one I've ever met in his presence and I just really I think surrendered in that moment and at one point a few years down the road um he called me he had someone in his house look for me find Soma find Soma mm -hmm. Finally, they find me, and they said, Papaji's looking everywhere for you. And I'm like, that's so strange, you know, like thousands of people go to see him and like that he's asking for me. And then he said, oh, I can never find you. You're never here. And I'm like, I eat dinner with you every night. I didn't say this to him, but I'm like thinking like, huh, that's amazing. I was always felt so privileged that I was invited to eat dinner at his house. Uh-huh. So he sat me down and he started talking to me a lot about my life and things in my life and um, things related to my husband, my children and everything. And he said, it's really, really important that you make Rudraksha Malas and spread them to the world. He said, the world is in total chaos. And if everyone in the world was wearing Rudraksha beads, the world would be at peace. And he said, you live close to the best Rudraksha beats in the world. And then most people don't know this. They actually, they come from Java. Mm. From the ancient period of the Majapahit, which is back in the 1400s in Indonesia. Prior to Bali, actually. And so these trees were there. I came back and I'm looking at him thinking, oh, wow. I have three kids in private school, my international lifestyle. Somehow we travel because here you can only stay so long with a visa at that time. But he told me to do it. Okay, so I'm going to start. And then I remembered that when I was 18 years old, I'd found a mala at some street fair and had bought it, not knowing any idea what it was, but I was attracted to it because it was made out of a sustainable material. It was looked like wood to me. I didn't know what it was, but it's, it was a, it's a seed. So I took that mala and I kept taking it apart and mixing it with gemstones. And I still have it. And then I remembered, I said, aha, I know how I can get all these people in the world to wear Rudraksha beads, just mix them with stones and, you know, a little bit of bling bling. Because <laughs> everyone's attracted to bling. 
So nice. um, that's kind of how it started. And honestly, when at first I started doing it, I did it as a hobby and because I was told to. And I never, ever, ever intended to make a brand out of it or a business. I wanted to start a mission. Mm. And I did that. Beautiful. And now we see malas everywhere in yeah. the world. So I feel like my mission is kind of complete in a way, even though I'm still involved in the business and still really enjoy it. But uh, yeah, that's how it started and really out of innocence. And, <laughs> well, and, and, and a little questioning, actually, too, because I'm like, these sadhu beads, I got to sell them to the world. They're like, wow, okay. <laughs> no, no sales and marketing strategy, Babaji, either. It's just you've got to sell them, this make is, it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. I had a message from the ayahuasca to do something, which is another podcast, but yeah. uh, but I just did it and, yeah. it, and it's happening. I had no idea these beads were from Java. No, I didn't. Yeah, they're originally from Java. They grow on trees, mm -hmm. so they're very sustainable. Um, inside of each, well, it's a fruit. It's a bright cobalt blue fruit, and inside each fruit is one bead. Mm. So they grow, so they look like grapes on the trees, and their trees get quite big. I've seen huge reduction trees. They have them in many different places in the world. Also in Australia, the Kwandan tree mm -hmm. is a form of reduction, different genus. Mm. So they don't have as much prana in them as these. And some of them, like in India and Nepal, they also have a lot of Rudraksha beads come from there. But in India, they really treasure the ones that come from Indonesia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and why? Why do they treasure the ones from Indonesia in particular? They say that they have more prana in them, mm. more life force. Yeah. And they're stronger. And they're also smaller. Ah, uh, okay. Like, um, I don't have, these aren't super small, the ones I'm wearing, but we, they come even smaller than this. This is like six, seven milli. Mm -hmm. And they come all the way to four milli, three milli even, which is really, really tiny. Tiny like, ones, yeah. Yeah, like this bracelet is three milli. So it's just... Oh, yeah, that's really yeah, tiny. really tiny. So drilling holes in these is quite... <laughs> you a, need some real patience to... <laughs> yeah, these guys love this. This is kind I, of I their meditation. I need my glasses as well if I was... Uh, yeah, glasses, <laughs> even magnifying glasses yeah. for me. I would be drilling holes in my fingers for sure. <laughs> because also they come really big, don't they? You can get really big ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one that's... Well, he has one that's quite... Yeah. A large one on this, uh, on this uh, new yeah. necklace that oh, someone yeah. made me last week, actually. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> for the absence of doubt, this is the one that Jules made for me. And she thinks it's really nice. <laughs> I think it's really nice too. So It was really beautiful seeing the two of you in the mala making workshop. Because we love for people to make their own. There's something about it when they string their own, they choose their own stones. And I'm always amazed at the different combinations mm. that people come up with. Mm. It's very unique to themselves. And you guys were amazing because you kind of designed your own, I think. You designed each other's. Yeah, so I designed and made Martin's one. I knew you made it, but you designed it yeah, also. I designed yeah, I it love too. that. Yeah. I think that that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was a good... Uh, well, you can see actually from the from the dress that yeah. uh, Jules is wearing and the tattoo as well. Um, you Green sort of turquoisey light blues are your jam, aren't they? And mm -hmm. black and yellow is actually one of my favorite color co <laughs> combinations, so... Yeah, imagine if relationship there was like a relationship test where everyone had to design <laughs> one another's reduction bead. Mm, fail. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going to last. You've just saved yourself 20 years of misery. 
onto the next but it was a really island. beautiful thing to do together but i also yeah, want to come back and make my own as well because mm. you can never have too many no, no I, I agree i think we'll uh, <laughs> and, and especially <laughs> women <laughs> i have a lot match each outfit, you know? well, I li- i'm into them too so yeah. i'm going to do the same thing yeah. so so just to explain to uh, those that are listening obviously you can you can buy these things in the shops but we i can't remember how i happened upon it but I, hap- I, I learned that you guys were doing these workshops. And I think this was the first time you've done them post, post-pandemic. Is that right? Yes. Well, uh, we've done a few private ones yeah, yeah. during the pandemic. So this was a group session at the Yoga Barn in Ubud. And I understand you do them elsewhere as well. You do them in your workshop in Uluwatu. We do them in our workshop. We also people that are doing like yoga retreats or teacher trainings. They also often include it as one day into their or half a day into their workshops. You know, they have like long workshops. Mm. They'll ask us to come even if it's a week long, a weekend. We do many, sometimes even baby showers. I mean, Mary, I mean, all kinds of events, a birthday party, they, all the girls want to get together and do that with their girlfriends. Nice. So we do it wherever they, we ask, you know, are asked. If there's, you know, up to five participants, we will do it anywhere. It's a wonderful, yeah. I find it a wonderful meditation as much as it was fairly hectic because I actually delayed the whole process. I'd made everybody late on this particular well, no, let's, occasion. Let's go back a little bit because it started off as a, <laughs> I'm taking you on a romantic date which was like, oh, what? I can't believe he's actually, this is, you know, what a beautiful surprise. <laughs> I, I am romantic occasionally. <laughs> We've had this conversation on podcast. So before. surprised. And it was really beautiful. And then he went, actually, do you mind if we make it a podcast? <laughs> Guilty. He actually, actually owes me another date. So we'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll organize something separate. But it, it was a wonderful podcast opportunity because obviously for all the reasons we're having this conversation, it struck me that we could tell people about a whole other perspective of of um, devotion and meditation that, that people may not understand in the West. I didn't know what these things were. I had no idea. Yeah. Probably appropriate for me to tell my mala story, yeah, which yeah. I told you the other day. But So I'm wearing a, two mala uh, necklaces right now, one that I made, uh, that Jules made, and, and the other one's, I think, quite an old one from the looks of it. I think this, this is made out of wood, isn't it? Sand, sandalwood, perhaps. And long story short, I'd been in a in an, an event in Ubud, and somebody was wearing one just like this, dark brown uh, wood and red tassel, and I really uh, just resonated. It resonated with me, so decided I wanted one, and I came back to Ubud. And as you can attest, every shop down the Monkey Forest Road sells mala beads, right? So I went into every shop looking for this uh, for these Malabies, every shop, and I couldn't find the ones I wanted. So I thought, mm, well, fair enough, it's, it's not meant to be. And uh, a couple of days later, I did this gratitude meditation that I often do in the morning. And it's, it's actually a guided meditation by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And in the meditation, he invites you, he says, if you feel as though you're connected with the divine during this meditation, ask for a sign. And I'd never thought to do so but i did on this occasion and then i don't know a couple of hours later my dog and i are, are walking along the beach and this is a, a deserted stretch of beach uh, north of ketewell on the east coast and i'm in the water you know kind of shin deep in the water and i felt something hit me on the leg and i looked down and it's these beads <laughs> and they're exactly the beads that i wanted to have so i just picked them out of the sea put them on my Put them over my head, looked up to the sky, said thanks, <laughs> and just kept walking. I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. And every time it's I tell amazing. that, yeah. people usually go, 
No, you're just making that up. It just nice. sounds like a great story. But uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to to Marler beads. And and w- the funny thing is, I'd never thought to 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 understand more about them. It was good. It's 2019 when I did that. But then I always think that these lessons come to us when we're ready, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be open to to learning stuff. And even though the, the universe gives you the opportunity to learn a lesson, you're not ready. You're not ready, and you just move on. But then it always comes back, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And then, funnily enough, it came back. To the extent where we're talking to you, the founder of a, of of a, of a company that makes these, and it's called, and you've spread the message. So, do you do, are these are these all are yours your beads all over the world now? Yes, we have distributors in many countries. Um, obviously, the United States, Australia, Brazil, South America, France, um, Mexico. And whenever anyone has an interest, we're always very happy to support them because we really want them to be spread to other parts of the world. Mm. And so, yeah, we're our company. We have 22 people that work there. And we've managed to keep every single employee all through the pandemic. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, no, these people, we have to make this happen. And it just did. And it was really beautiful. Mm. So we're just finally... Now that, you know, things are going back to normal, it's like, okay, we did it. (laughs) We took care of all those people and all their families, too, you know, when you have so many people depending on you and all the suppliers of the Rudraksha beads and the plantations and things also, you know, Mm. so Mm. just a support for all of them. And they're all, we also do, our company is quite unique in that I really believe in giving back. Mm-hmm. So we give 30% of our profits back to the employees. Nice. Mm-hmm. Like a cooperative shareholding. Yeah. Sort of nice. So during the pandemic, we didn't have a lot of profit. Actually, none. We just had, like, the company was strong, so we could make it through. But we do it all the way even to the farmers that have, grow the trees, collect the beets. Mm-hmm. So we want everyone to win in this. We want to empower everybody that comes into our business or are across our paths to empower them and to help them to live in that one consciousness that runs through all of us and mm. just we have such an amazing family our team is fabulous we don't lose employees they've all been i don't think i have a single employee that's quit other than one person who got married to a westerner and moved back to france okay, well <laughs> and she's still off. selling them in france so yeah. we didn't really lose really her she's become an agent <laughs> exactly so it's a it's a beautiful team of people and we really all believe in the power of the rudraksha beads because rudraksha beads themselves have a really strong a power and you can see it there's a lot of things that are correlated with it like around a really newborn baby they're too strong for them and there's certain things that you know just to pay attention to sometimes with it that they just they're they regulate your heart they regulate your blood pressure they quiet your mind they're one of we believe that they're really one of the tools to raise your consciousness and to one of the best tools to just quiet your mind and to resonate in that field of Mm. oneness it's interesting because um i've been working with marla beads for, for quite a long time but for me i always put them in a bag and put them on my altar and then i take them out when i want to practice and it wasn't actually in i mean i used to occasionally wear them but it was always more for a practice or a class or if i was going to you know listen to a teacher speak i take them to kind of get some of the energy but it wasn't until we did the workshop with you and you talked a lot about 
the power of the bead mm. and um, actually the benefit of wearing it all the time. And actually, so since then, I found myself really wanting to wear it. And I kind of, you know, I'm always grabbing for it. Or, I was just going to say, and we yeah. always grab them and hold on to them. <laughs> and it's and... been really lovely. And it's kind of, it's making me, so I've got a few sets at home and it's thinking, yeah, I'm going to get them out. of. I mean, I know it's good also to keep them in the bag and keep the energy contained. But yeah, I'm definitely committed to wearing them more. And yeah, especially now I've got a nice jazzed up one. Yes, yeah, cool. my other ones are very plain. They're yeah. just the beads, so it's nice to have have mm. a pretty one. Well, also, you know, there's um, traditionally, if you practice with them and do japa, mm -hmm. like you do mantras on each bead, you generally don't wear those. Yeah. The one thing Papaji said to me is, "There's so many rules about rudraksha beads and malas. It's not the time anymore. Mm -hmm. Break all the rules." Yeah. Spread them to the West. It doesn't matter if you eat meat. It doesn't matter if you drink alcohol. It doesn't matter if you, you can still wear them. Like in some countries, I mean, some of the states in India, they believe women shouldn't wear them until they've um, gone through menopause. He's like, no, 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 this is not the time anymore. We need all the help we can get. Like you the know? And they protect you. Yeah. And I've seen this, I could tell you many, many stories about where I've seen that they've actually protected people that are wearing them, where the motorbike is completely destroyed, the mala beads have been broken, and they get up and they walk away just Person's like. in one piece. Yeah, everything. Mm -hmm. But the mala beads are. Phew. And I've seen it in my own case many times, certain things, you know, where a relationship broke up at one point. It was a long term relationship. And I remember closing the door of my car. And in the moment I did that, the beads on my I was wearing just exploded and went all over the ground. For no reason. For no reason. Mm. And it was just like, I mean, literally it was like someone had just like ripped them apart and they just went everywhere. And they yeah. were knotted in between each bead too. So it was like kind of broke into many pieces. And I just like, okay. That relationship is really finished, you know. <laughs> I got the message. I definitely got the message. <laughs> so, you know, just many, many stories and just how it's empowered all of our employees also. I've watched them come in really like some of them, you know, in bad situations. The one manager was really looking for a husband, getting older and older, wanting children. She found that. Their problems in their family disappear. I watch them all become happier and happier and happier, all the people that work for us. And that's been really amazing to watch also. To I, see. Notice, I notice even the people working for you at the, the house are all wearing them as well, which is beautiful. Yeah. I give them to everybody. It's yeah. my favorite thing. I prefer to give them away than sell them. Well, my staff every once in a while goes, I'm Soma. Yeah. I don't need any more. <laughs> well, also, they're like, we, we still need to make money. You know, we, we need to share pay salaries. You know? <laughs> Especially at the Bali Spirit Festival, I tend to give lots away to all the yoga teachers and the... Those that are spreading, you know, the truth and mm -hmm. freedom around the world, yeah, you know, I yeah. like to support them because they all, they need some anchoring sometimes and they need some support to help them through those difficult moments yeah. that everyone has, especially if you're spreading the light. Yeah. In these kind of... Dark times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, we I'm, I'm happy to talk about us, us being in a, in a global phase of darkness. We've had that conversation. 100%. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of madness in the world and um i think now more than ever I, I hope anyway that people are people who aren't at all or haven't been at all open to any of these conversations that we have on this podcast it's now more than ever that i hope that people might open their minds to um 
to new opportunities mm. and, and new practices, you know, because that's ultimately what we're trying to do with, with How to Die Happy is to share stories like yours and about practical utilities, right? You know, and I think I, I mentioned to you that is the, the podcast was inspired originally by the Tibetan Book of the Dead and or the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And it's really all about the, the Buddhist perspective on how we need to reframe the way we live our lives so mm. that we can die a good death. And of course, the concept of death is is as a very skewed perspective from one side of the planet to the other, doesn't it? I I think we're fortunate in this part of the world that death is mm. um, is expected, planned for, and celebrated, yeah. or rather, the life aspect of it is celebrated. Whereas in the West, and not to sweep, make sweeping generalizations, there are of course lots of people who are who have a um, an enlightened perspective on death, but then of course we treat death as the enemy. Mm. more often than not in the west and we're told we are morbid if we <laughs> if we want to talk about death <laughs> strange you know yeah Mor- strange. the definition of the word essentially being uh, um an unusual fascination well what's an un- what's a usual fascination you know i'm kind of like <laughs> you know, i i want to be unusually fascinated with dying because it's an absolute part of, of living yeah so it's uh yeah we have a strange perspective uh shift to to tweak anyway i digress as i often do in these cases so let's talk about the the use the practical Mm -hmm. use of mala um and i I suppose we can talk about mantras or we can talk about meditation or we can talk about both what do you think well my main thing is i feel that um mala should just be worn especially right now you know, that that's what I try to get people to do is just wear them. You don't need to do any meditation practice. You don't need to do, which is, they're great. But to reach the masses, just wear them. Mm. Feel the power, help them protect you. Because in this day and age, we really need something to protect us in this. We're being bombarded with, you know, all kinds of, you know, the mainstream media or whatever it is you want to call it. You know, they just... There's just a lot of chaos going on in the world. Negative noise, right? Yeah. And uh, so first step, just wear them. You don't need any preliminaries. You don't need anything. You don't need to be of any religion. You don't need to be of any sex. You don't need to be any of that. Just wear them. And then, you know, I find that, and I think you guys are experiencing this also, that once you wear them, when there's an issue or there's a problem, you tend to hold them. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you just kind of, I don't know, it's like your safety blanket. (laughs) (laughs) And I just really, I find myself all through the day, I actually wear often quite a bit longer ones, so I don't have to reach up so much. It's just like it's right here. Because it's a daily daily incident. Yeah, I mean, I end up sometimes forgetting how many I'm wearing. You know, I end up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) But um, obviously, to wear them while you're meditating it actually increases your meditation and increases your ability to quiet your mind, you know, which I think is what one of the goals of meditation is to we have so much chatter and so much going on in our heads and to just drop down into our heart and in that silence. And I think they help to create that silence within us. 
And so I think just wearing them, it actually does quiet the mind. And so it's really good for people that are anxious. I've seen a lot of really anxious people start to wear them. I mean, they tend to break them more than other people. It's really interesting mm-hmm. to because watch. Because they're tugging this. on them. They're tugging on them or they're anxious. And I don't know if they you know their anxious movements, they're pulling on it or what it is, or maybe it breaks through. We always say, in for us, we believe that when they break, it's protected you against something bad that was going to happen, either an incident, an emotion, a feeling, a accident, uh, many things. And so we at, at Omrud Raksha, we decide to just repair any mala for free. Oh, nice. Aww. Just to Beautiful. help people. Mm-hmm. Because people are attached to them, and they break, and then it's like, oh, we don't need to make money on that. Let's just do a service, yeah, you know? Lovely. So we try to do as much as possible in service and still pay the bills and pay our staff and... You know, that's nice. So that's one thing. Mm. And the other that I really feel that, which I do often with myself, is I don't do it very much anymore, but I used to take, let's see if I can get this up with a headphones. Headphones on. Forgot I had them on. <laughs> that's good. Is I take one bead and each bead. I say something I'm grateful on. Mm, that's mm. a nice practice. And so by the time you get, a mala traditionally has 108 beads. So by the time you said 108 things you're grateful for, you're usually in a pretty good mood. That's good, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you know, so I, you don't need any special mantras. You don't need any special... Yeah, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful piece of advice for yeah. people, but just, yeah. to, just to start to use them. Yeah. Can you, I, oh, sorry, I was no, no, you go. No, I was going to ask if you could explain um, to our listeners why there's 108 beads. Well, 108... You guys can all Google it later because I could stay here all day long and speak about 108. <laughs> it's one of the auspicious numbers, and it's there's so many things related to 108. It's 9 times 12. There's 9 planets. There's the distance between the sun and the moon is all related to. It's 9 times 12. It's, it's all connected with... The mathematics. The mathematics. And many, many things like the, the length of the Ganga the Holy River in India, and there's just so many things. It's also a Harshat number, which if you take the number and you add it up and then divide it by itself, Mm -hmm. so 108, 1 plus 8 is 9, 9 goes into 108 12 times. It's all of these kind of things. It's There's many, many aspects of 108. It's a very auspicious number, and and also in many, many cultures. Mm, I wonder if there's a frequency around 108 as well that does something special oh that's a yeah that's a good thing to, to check out yeah to check out so you've 108 beads and i just i was just thinking back to to what you said about the advice for people i, I was having a conversation with somebody i think it was actually on it was on facebook i'm in a few of these groups where i tried to throw a, a little bit of light and a little bit of love here and there for people who are suicidal for example and um Somebody, I, I posted something to do with the podcast, and, and somebody said, "I've got absolutely nothing to be grateful for." Wow. Yeah, and I and that obviously that's their truth, so I totally yeah. respect it. Um, but I tried to talk to them about, okay, let's lower the bar. You know, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Maybe you haven't got a great job, or you haven't got a great car, or or the, all the family's dead. I don't know. You know, it could be all manner of things that that, that, that mean you feel you're not grateful for anything. So let's start with the basics. 
Let's go for the breath in the lungs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if we've got nothing else, have we got breath in the lungs? And I ended up having that conversation. And actually, the conversation became more of a positive one because mm. they, they started to... Uh, obviously, it's, that's not a conversation you can fix on a Facebook group in, you know, in, a, in a thread. But, but I have had this conversation with many people. I felt like that myself. I was suicidal once. I had a loaded shotgun in my, to my face at one particular time. But my, my dogs stopped me from doing it. So I know what it is to feel rock bottom with with no sense of gratitude. But then on the flip side of that, I know what what a beautiful feeling it is to practice gratitude on a daily basis now. So I think the idea of of challenging oneself with with the mala beads, okay, maybe you can't list 108 things in the first place. There's a lot of things like grass. Right? I think you'd be surprised. Like when you kind of... Blue sky, the sun. Yeah. Exactly. Snow. Mm. I mean, you know, the whatever trees, it is that yeah. you like, yeah, there's birds. Mm. I mean, there's something like the food that your favorite food. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, like coffee. Like yeah. And coffee. even starting with... <laughs> I'm grateful for coffee. And even starting with, I have a roof over my head. Yeah, exactly. I have food to eat. I got clothes. Yeah. My favorite podcast, How to Die Happy. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on there, couldn't it? Yeah. Well, but I, but that's a wonderful that's a wonderful way to, to introduce people, I yeah. think. But... So let's but let's advance that then. Let's talk yeah. about mantras because I think that's uh, that's um, that's something I wanted to talk about in this podcast. Because for many folks who aren't spiritual, and I'm using air quotes and uh, or and or religious um, folks from the West, for example, you know they might see these beads and they might think very woo woo. That's a, a, a not a word I use incidentally. I'm just repeating yeah. something I've heard. Um, they might see us doing kirtan for example where we're doing the call and response singing they might see people chanting and think what on earth are you doing so i thought i would ask and, and you can feel free to chime in as well jules with uh with soma to, if i said what when you chant what are you doing and obviously i know because i do chant <laughs> but but perhaps we could talk about chanting and mantras and what what they are Over to you, so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, my own personal experience with mantras is that, again, it quiets the mind. It gives the mind something to do, and it's invoking a higher force that to uh, be with us, to help us through these difficult lifetimes that we have as humans, you know, and... um, it's not easy, you know, even if we have everything supposedly that, you know, you want and money and this, you still have problems. Everybody does. And so I just feel mantras kind of help bring us back to who we really are, the essence of who we are, and to invoke the higher force, be it, as you want to call it, God, you want to call it spirit, you want to call it divine mother, you want to, you know, whatever it is that resonates with you is... Um, I think mantras do that, and somehow by repeating something over and over and over and over the same mantra, or it can be a long mantra, I mean, obviously there's different mantras that have different qualities that bring in different forces that are for healing, some mantras are for healing, some are for just being grateful to the gods for creating this planet and this earth, and so there's many different things, there's very simple ones where you can just, you know, say one word or you can just say many words you know and but you repeat it over and over and over and in that repeating something shifts within you that helps you 
I mean, that definitely helps for um, meditation to quiet the mind. And I think just in general to help you cope a little bit with uh, life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see is that a lot of people that do mantras every day, that their lives have become more and more peaceful mm -hmm. and more and more easy, that it does help move you through these obstacles a little faster. And I think it's like the divine helping you to move through these obstacles that are placed in front of you or these difficulties, these challenging moments, that it just helps you to move through them. Nice. Mm, that's can a you, really beautiful answer. Can you top that, Julia? I don't think I can top that. We I don't mean, need to top it, but you can <laughs> add something to it. No, not, it's not a competition here. <laughs> no, but we're all in this together. We're, we're all human hearts connected. Everything we can throw into the chat. Completely. I mean, everything you just said is it really, really resonates. And I know, like, you know, I was, when I was teaching this morning, obviously, when I'm teaching Kundalini, we really work a lot with mantra. Mm. And to begin with, yes, it's that it's that finding that point of focus to help quieten the mind. And also because we're often really challenging the body, the mantra kind of helps you to come out of the body so that, you know, say my arms are like this for however long. Yes, of course, it's going to ache. I start telling myself I can't do that. But as soon as you tune into the mantra, mantra. it kind of takes you beyond that physical realm and yeah. takes you more into the realm that's bigger than ourselves, you know, and it, and it helps almost brings in support as well so we focus the mind then some support comes through to let us hold the body for longer yep. and that i find really really special it's and, a really um, good example here yeah it's a them and they're mad i think they're magical you know i notice it's almost we were talking about this a while ago almost i feel like a mantra is a portal mm -hmm. you know in it in it you can feel it working, you know, when I actually got into that space, you've been repeating, 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 the minds become quiet, the bodies become still. And it's like you're just transported to that, that other side of that veil, like yeah. everything's a bit thinner, you've totally. taken somewhere new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well I, okay, let's, let's play, <laughs> play past the mantra. My addition to that, yeah, w would be the expansion of the portal mm. conversation. I I believe words are spells and with the right intention behind them, mm. even on a basic level, when we communicate in third density to one another in the right way, then we can we can interact and get the other to do something, right? So, but I believe that words are, spell, are, are very much more powerful. I think mantras are very powerful spells and I've had very, I've had personal experience. This mantra on my tattooed on my arm is the the guru rinpoche mantra uh, which is om ah hung benza guru pema sidi hung that's the tibetan pr pronunciation for those of you that are going to pull me up for getting it wrong um <laughs> maybe um and that's an incredibly powerful mantra and it, and, and it's well, actually, my my brother who described it as the Swiss Army mantra. <laughs> you know, the multi-tool. Like, like the multi-tool mantra that does everything. And um, and I learned that. And, and this mantra and the Gayatra mantra, the two mantras I've, I've actually used w while working with plant medicine. So working with psilocybin, for example, doing, uh, I've done, I do quite a lot of work with, uh, with psychedelics. And, um, and, how do I? How can I possibly explain this? Suffice to say that portal is correct. Yes. And 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 those mantras, and I think this is the same for master meditators. But I'm not a master meditator. We're we're not, are we? Um, I think the the same effect or or something similar could be had 
for a master meditator using mantras, I, I suspect as someone working with plant medicine, plant medicine is you know, kind of like the, the shortcut. You know, it's like the laser cut uh, key to get there. Uh, but I've had some profound experiences working with mantras mm. in particular and plant medicine, which has either brought forth certain entities kicked out certain entities yeah, protection. Yeah, protection. the guru the guru rinpoche mantra uh, there were some very dark entities one in particular and i was working with you at that time wasn't i um and this thing couldn't get anywhere near us because of this mantra and the gayatra mantra i, I recall opening a portal to a to a to home <laughs> I'm always conscious when I when I try and talk about this stuff on the podcast. It's, you're either going to think I'm absolutely, <laughs> totally bloody nuts, or you know you're kind of interested. I don't know, but um, but I'm not the only one who has these has these experiences. I think that's the fundamental point. And and I I, I legitimately believe that uh, obviously mantras all came from the Buddhists, right? Originally from from India. From the Hindus originally. From the Hindus, my bad. Sorry, Hindus. From India, and and of course Buddhism came from India originally. So I think both parties were utilizing their own mantras. Very similar, in fact. Obviously, Tibetan and Sanskrit are different, but there are a lot of similar pronunciations. And I believe they've been around. Well, Buddha was born a Hindu. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Newsflash: Buddha Ending. wasn't born a, born a Buddhist. <laughs> that would be strange, wouldn't it? That's the, he created Buddhism. Let's get into that. Buddha but wasn't born a Buddhist. Actually, they say that the Gayatri mantra is the oldest mantra on the planet. Oh, is and that doesn't right? it just? For me, it's almost a bit like um, you know, snake charmer and a cobra. Yeah. As soon as the Gayatri mantra comes on, I am. You're there. I've gone. Yeah, yeah just, you're in it. Yeah, you're with it. I think yeah. is the, the 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 better way to pronounce it. And here in Bali, which is really beautiful, they say the Gayatri mantra every morning at school for all the classes of Do school. They? Yeah, the Balinese schools. Yeah. All the children say it every morning before they start school. It's uh, we we haven't had anywhere near enough interaction with with the Manku priests here, have we? But we have had some, and we've we've been off to hike mountains and do temple blessings and so on mm. and so forth. But there's a, I just, I, I never, I, I never cease to be grateful for the devotion and the the higher vibrational energy of these people. Well, actually, when we made the mala, we had a Manku blessing. Ah, should, do you want to explain he, that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so as soon as we'd made. Um, the malas and they were finished we took them over to the manku he's a balinese priest hindu priest and he um and also a graphic artist how is he <laughs> yeah. and he it was so powerful so we sat with him and he blesses you and blesses the mala but he used the gayatri mantra mm -hmm. as well and obviously the way in which he chants it is i mean i I'd actually, I'd love to learn a bit more about that, but it, it felt incredibly powerful. And it wasn't just the sound because I was seeing the visuals coming into the Me space too. as he was chanting was yeah. incredibly powerful. And I could feel it. I could feel the energy on the mala, mm. I could feel the energy on me. And um, wow. Yeah. Well, I, well look, that's, that's worth talking about for a moment, actually. So the Balinese Manku priest has a, a certain type of guttural chant, don't they? I don't know. Is there a name for it or is it just... I think it's just uh, because they don't have it like that in India. I spend mm. a lot of time in India also, but they don't have that in that way. It's just to think something that they've developed within themselves. Like they're all their mantras have this and they're chanting mm. has that in it. Mm. Mm. Who's going to try and 
duplicate it for the audience. <laughs> kind of like, sort like that, or is that more a bit like the Buddhist? Um, <laughs> I think we'll find a recording and play it. We'll do that, or mm-hmm. maybe you should all Google it. I probably did it a disservice, but it's um, it's a very unique sound. And mm-hmm. I, similarly to you, had a, a really beautiful energetic exchange when he when he blessed my mouths and gave them to me as well. Really felt it. Mm. Got very kind eyes as an, as an aside, as your manku. Yeah, he's a beautiful man. <laughs> it's gonna... also one of the things that we do in our company is that we we give for free to any manku in Bali and we also support all the patandas. So the padandas are a higher caste, a higher level of um, priest here in Bali. Most foreigners here don't even run into them, don't even know that they exist or that they are here. They do the really high-level ceremonies here, and they do a lot of different um, work to keep Bali safe, the world safe, and they have very specific um, jobs and um, responsibilities here for major ceremonies at the big mother temples and things. It's always the pandandas that are leading them. And... They were unbelievable amount of Rudraksha beads, and we have had the privilege and honor to make many, many, many of their sets of malas. We started with one, and then people somewhere, did you get those malas? And then we started, and we make them for free. It's one of our gifts that we like to give back, mm. and they're incredible. And we also have sponsored them and taken them on many pilgrimages to India. Ah, okay. So Cultural my exchange. Yeah, my son and I have taken... The last few trips, we had 15 pedandas. One was 15, one was 16 pedandas, and 45 people in total. We've gone to Tibet. We've gone to many different holy places in India and just get them to experience. It's the root of their religion. Mm. It's come from India, and so they all want to go back and experience it there. And so we've been... Through the malas, we've actually been able to help support them and take them there and help them experience a little bit of where their whole religion came from, even though the original Balinese religion is actually Agamatirta, which is the religion of water. They understand holy water, and it's one of the responsibilities of the Padandas is to make holy water. Mm. And then people come to them and get the holy water to use in their own ceremonies, in their temples, and different things, but that's one of their... And it was only in the 1950s where... Bali became Bali Hindu. Ah, is that right? Yeah. No, I love you know one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I'm learning as well every time. <laughs> yeah, and it always gives me something else I want to go and research. Yeah, yeah and like find sure. out some more things. Well, and that's something as I have stepped more away from the business, feeling that I personally have created my mission. I've spread them to the world. They're in every country in the world now. I don't know any country. They're in the Middle East. They're in other everywhere. Jeddah. They're Saudi Arabia, we have them, Iraq, Iran, yeah, and um, I spend a lot of time with the high priest and doing different things with them and Mm. and with the Balinese. Nice. So you're you're safe to say you're fully immersed in the culture then, having been here that long as well. Yeah, and I, I, I which is rare. Yeah, they keep kind of a. It's why they're able to keep their culture so intact Mm. in the midst of all of that goes on here. Mm that they keep it very much to themselves. You step a little bit away from the tourist areas, even in downtown Kuta, where there's so many people, or Changu or whatever, mm. you step 10 meters inside and it's Bali. Yeah. Mm. 
but yeah. they they are amazing at remaining invisible mm. and keeping their culture intact without it's not that they don't like you to come no because you're always welcome anytime you go they're always very welcoming very open but they don't let their secrets out very no. easily <laughs> well, and, and, and for, rightfully so for good reason right I mean, otherwise they would be absorbed here and they'd lose the essence of it i think so and, and I, I think there's something very special about the connection between between the people of bali and, and their connection with the land and with their religion that that creates that beautiful cycle of energy that, well that it's power. called trihuta karna and it means to be in harmony with nature in harmony with god in harmony with each other and yourself yeah we heard that from uh, marayasa as well didn't we on yeah. time yeah, yeah that's the that. very basis of I their love that. and you see it in their culture if you really pay attention and are involved with them in their own world they very much get that and i'd imagine for so for these uh high priests going to india would not have been in any way possible were it not for because obviously a lot of people in bali just don't make, don't have much money, so international travel would be off the radar, wouldn't it? Well, some of the high priests were actually gems of five-star hotels and things in the past, ah, and then they've okay. become high priests when they've retired. It generally was something they did as they're older, but a lot of people nowadays, there's a lot of ones that are being called to be pedandas, um, much younger. And it's a caste system here. So generally, Padandas are in the Brahman caste, so it's in the high caste. Okay. And so it's not a lineage, but yet it is in a way. You know, they're not forced to become a Padanda if they come from a, um, a family of Padandas. They have to be called. Mm -hmm. And if they're called, they generally follow it. If they don't, they tend to get really sick. Mm. Until they kind of go, okay, yeah, okay. They're fighting that. Yeah, they're like, no, 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 I want to, you know. And then finally they go, yeah, okay, okay. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really a fascinating. Th and they're, I mean, in India, so a lot of them do have money. Some of them have sponsors that also take them mm -hmm. because there's a lot of protocol around the Padandas in particular. Oh, and um, so it's a big deal. The first time, I think when we left, the first time with so many Padanas, is the first time that many Padanas had actually left Bali. Big deal. All at once. Mm. Yeah. Imagine that was a big deal for Bali as well. Somebody's taken all our Padanas. <laughs> like, this wild Western woman, like, what's like, she doing with her Padanas? Crazy necklace ladies <laughs> taking all of our Padanas. <laughs> They're dying to go again, but I'm like, let's wait until we don't have to do PCR tests anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe yeah. we, because, you know, if one, you know, if we have a bad test or whatever, you know, they're stuck there and it's just, just too big of a deal. So I'm like, no, that's not going to happen till Too many you know, um, false positives. Yeah, and factors involved that, you know, we just don't yeah. have to deal with at the moment. Yeah, I think, well, I, actually, we've really enjoyed just, because we, well, you were, you were, you were country hopping anyway, weren't you, prior to meeting me mm -hmm. and coming to Bali. I, I, I didn't really know where I was going to go. I didn't. I wasn't really sure I was going to settle in Bali. I'm still not at this stage. But, but what's been nice is just to be to actually to know that you're not going anywhere for the last couple of years here. And and actually, we've been so lucky. I, obviously, I'm talking about when you came here 38 years ago. There were no silly tourists all over the place. But um, <laughs> but during the the pandemic, there 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 weren't either. Weather for so for us so it was it was it was phenomenal. We got to ride all around the island and go to all the um, 
the waterfalls, and there was nobody there. Mm, Not an influencer in sight. (laughs) So we had a great time. (laughs) Exactly. No, I know. It was hard for me to allow, (laughs) feel grateful that they can open back up. I was grateful for the economy. But actually, a lot of the Balinese, too, because I am connected to them, they were so grateful during that time. In the beginning, it kind of freaked them out. And Mm -hmm. then they were like, you know what? It's so much nicer to go and catch a big, huge fish that feeds my family for a week than driving, you know, complaining tourists around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like they're, and then now that they're all back, everyone's kind of like, oh, wow, we were really running on a fast pace, you know? Yeah. Like they're very practical and they really look a little bit deeper than I find. I mean, I'm in love with the Balinese. The mm. longer I'm here, the more I love these people. Mm. Well, they're very resourceful and, and yes. not to get too political, but they didn't get a lot of support during the, uh, yeah. during the lockdown. And a lot of them. Um, Balinese we spoke to that you know we said how how are things you know is it, are you really struggling and actually a lot of people said I have I have Bali you know yeah. I can find what I need in the land and I have and I have my home and yeah. I have my family my community because yeah. they're so community based which I love yeah and they just support each other exactly. exactly so everyone just knuckled down and got on with it and uh, and I guess to to a great extent uh, I mean we were talking we did a, a trek to the top of uh, Batu Karu not too long ago with some guys, all Balinese guys who've got a little tour company. And of course, they couldn't do any tour stuff for a couple of years. So what were they doing? They had all sorts of random jobs. Uh, one, of them, one of them was a chicken farmer. Yeah, he became a chicken farmer. Um, <laughs> the other one was, was a fisherman. I can't remember what the other guy was doing. But uh, Well, suffice to say that I don't think they were particularly... And they grew gardens. Exactly. Oh, everyone just, I knew, every Balinese I knew was planting food. Growing their yeah, own there's food. Um, a guest house in Ubud that I used to stay at all the time. Absolutely loved the family. And I went to visit them at one point during the pandemic and stayed. And he said, yeah, we've been really quiet, so I've turned my garden into a food garden. Mm-hmm. And I was just That's like, it. of course. So I've got, yeah. no problem. I've got water coming out of the ground. I've got food in my garden. Okay, I've still got to pay for my electricity, but, you know, stuff could be worse. Yeah, it's a beautiful place like that. Mm. Just shifting uh, gear a, a second somewhere, what would you say to anybody who said, I haven't got time to meditate? Where Rudrak should be. Dot com. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. That'll, that'll quieten your mind a little bit. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a, that was a fair answer, wasn't I think it? it's a great answer. <laughs> Let them do it for you. <laughs> and then it catches on. You find the time. Yeah. I know I used to feel that way. Um, about meditation and now I realize how inefficient I am in the day if I don't do my morning meditation and so I get way more done I'm way more focused I'm way more I don't know I mean maybe it's also my age too you know as you get older you become I don't know if you can become more focused or not but um, I don't know it's just become something that for me I look forward to waking up in the morning to my cup of coffee and my meditation everyone laughs so you drink a cup of coffee before you meditate and I'm like well I don't want to fall back asleep <laughs> I need to be alert <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest um, that reminded me of um, my teacher a long time ago was checking in with me um, this is when I lived in Cambodia and he said you know how are you doing with your practice how's your daily meditation and I kind of looked at him and I said well, it is what it is. I have, you know, it's part of my practice. I have to do it. And he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he said, you've got to love it. He said, think about it. It's every time you know you're going to meditate, 
think of it as you're taking yourself on a date you know celebrate it get yourself ready for it like make it a beautiful part of your day rather than something I have to do obligation and it became that very very quickly you know I looked forward to getting up that you know setting my alarm that little bit earlier and then actually eventually thinking do you know I'm not even just going to roll out of bed and meditate I'm actually going to get up and brush my hair and I'm gonna really make it a part of my morning and it changed everything. Yeah, it's true. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's nice because people. We all have. I think we all have different ways, our different approaches to meditation, don't we? I, I'm. I do like to meditate in bed before I go to sleep. So, and I'll just do that while she's trying to get to sleep. I'm meditating, which ironically actually keeps you awake, doesn't it? Even though I'm meditating, so I'm not. But I'm often meditating, noise. but lying down. I'm a. Yeah. I'm not always, I don't feel the need to always <clears throat> sit and meditate. Like I'm, there's so many, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't do that. I tend to, I, I, I prefer to sit upright. There's something, I don't know, perhaps it's just that I do I do fall asleep very easily. I, I can be asleep in minutes, can't mm-hmm. I? So if, I'm, if I decide I'm having a lie down meditation, <laughs> I, I might well be asleep. So I, I, I prefer to sit up, but it's it's, to me, it feels like a gift as well. It's It's something... I remember when I first started it, it was a hardship. I didn't understand it and I I would get annoyed with myself because I couldn't <laughs> quiet my mind. Anybody who meditates will, will know how ironic that is. And um and I and and I, I felt like I was failing at it because thoughts were still in my in my head. Well I can't meditate because thoughts keep popping into my head, which is an objection I've heard from other people as well. And I and I totally feel that pain. Uh, but it, it is a process. Learning how to do it is a process. And, and in part, it's a, I think it's probably a hardship when you first start doing it. But then the moment, that one, that first moment you find peace, mm. literal peace, is, is when, you, for want of a better word, you become addicted to it. I think it's a good reminder that it's a practice. You know, yes. people often say to me, oh, yeah, I can't meditate, so I don't meditate. And I'm, but you didn't, you couldn't walk. You couldn't. You know, we've had to learn everything and everything took time. You know, you can't just suddenly speak another language. And meditation is a very strong practice and you have to dedicate some time to it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I was talking to some people on a call this morning about some, some something related. And it did occur to me that we don't talk about meditation enough on this show. And I really want, I want to normalize meditation. And I, I want, I, I would love for people to to embrace it. It for everyone to embrace it, embrace it as their daily practice. I fundamentally believe that it is in order to be a, a daily practice for all of us. And however you do that is is however you want to do it, right? Because we've got different ways of doing it. You have a, you can have a walking meditation. You can have an eating meditation. As Jules has identified, you can have a lie down meditation. But don't do what Martin doesn't fall asleep. Um, or a soma. Oh, or soma. <laughs> you're, you're, if I lay down, you're I, the same, uh, right? Yeah, I'll just say that. Coma, not soma. Yeah. <laughs> soma goes into a coma <laughs> <laughs> if she lays down and meditates. If she lasts uh, not even a minute, I don't think. Forthwith. But even making, you know, like making these mala beads is a meditation. It, it is, and and I think that I think the point is we can make anything a meditation if we just become fully present, and that's what meditation is. And I, I, I'm sure it was. Eckhart Tolle that said one conscious breath is a meditation Mm. so if you feel like you can't meditate start with that one breath and get some beads and get some you just ruined my meditation (laughs) (laughs) but get some beads too Um, but yeah just just the just the process of that one in breath and that one out breath you just meditated you know and I, I think if you can start there I often say this 
start there and then do two and then do three then do four and then, and then just incorporate it into every moment of your day mm-hmm. and yeah. everything you do. That's the real key, I think, as mm-hmm. opposed to it being a place where you sit down, you sit cross-legged, you get holy, you get quiet, and you, which is beautiful. But I think ideally the goal is for it to be a part of every moment mm-hmm. of your day and Great everything point. that you do. Great point. So. And that's just being present. Being present. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, which ironically is sounds super simple, <laughs> isn't super simple, but I can assure you become super simple. So that's a yeah. there is a there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. What else should we talk about? I actually just want to give a quick aside just because I don't think the viewers can see this, but we have got a very lovely cat lying right next to us. So we've been looking down and tickling a cat a lot during this podcast <laughs> but you can't see the cat <laughs> point out that the cat has been locked in a room twice, twice. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow the little sod keeps getting out and uh, just go just lay, lay right next to me at one point well at one point a minute ago what's the cat called simba 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 had uh Sim- hers his yes his paws up uh, like this, and I was just stroking the inside of his paw, and he was just looking at me like this. Yes, you got it, Martin. That's the spot. He's meditating. <laughs> now, if you ever wanted an animal that was a meditator, I think I think cats are definitely classed, aren't they? Mm. They're up there mm. for uh, for being animals. Well, either that or they're just asleep all the time. Yeah. Well, I think we could probably uh, we could probably let Soma go now, couldn't yeah, we? Yeah, I think since, that was since we're in Soma's house, and we've been here since 1982 because I, um, I <laughs> fortunately messed around with some of the technology as per usual. But uh, we got there in the end. We did. I would just like to say thank you so much for your time and your attention and energy. It's been a beautiful thank conversation. Thank you. It's been beautiful. Thank, thank you. you, Soma. I've really loved it. Thank yeah. you so much. Me too. <laughs> Before we go, well, let's we need to drop the some of your web addresses and social media. Media handles and do you know any of that <laughs> you've yeah. got people who do all of that for you well yes but i do know it <laughs> so the company is called omrud raksha very difficult to google spell and google it's om dot com. brilliant mm-hmm. and if you also google which might be easier to remember bali malas is our distributor in the United States, and it all we all have links to each other. We're not in competition. We're all a big family, and Wonderful. so you can Google Bali Malas, also Mala Spirit, in Europe. Those are easier to remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They'll come up anywhere. You'll find them. And Instagram's the same. Um, Facebook, it's the same. Omru Draksha. Right, and for anybody in Bali or visiting Bali, seriously, do recommend you that you book in one of these workshops. It was a beautiful mm, couple of hours. It really was. It? Despite me making it all late. It wasn't. We Sorry. actually was perfectly on time. You always say that, though. <laughs> no, yeah. but it you was. We ended right on time as we were supposed to and everything. We were going to do the podcast, but that didn't That's happen. But instead, we did it here in this beautiful uh, environment. and Incredible uh, setting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've not known you long, so, but I'll say that Soma always says everything's perfect, which, <laughs> which is a beautiful thing in itself. <laughs> you are perfect. So thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you. you so much. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Like, should we go out with a with a, an Om Shanti? Let's do it. Okay. Who's in charge? Well, let's let Soma lead this. Om Shanti.
Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Let there be peace and love amongst all beings of the universe. Let there be peace. Let there be peace. Om Shanti. Shanti. Om. Thank you.